Oh God, it is um, so good to be here this morning with your people. God, we've already uh, sung some really important truths about the gospel. God, I just want to tell you how stunned I am at the beauty and the power of Jesus. God, I know where I would be without Jesus, and it just humbles me. God, I thank you that Jesus comes and he initiates the salvation process in our lives. God, we thank you that Jesus does open up blind eyes. So God, I pray that you would use this word this morning to renew our awe of Jesus today. God, I pray that you would make the text plain and clear. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a long time ago, a man experienced God's grace in a powerful way. His name was John Newton. John Newton grew up in the church. He had uh, Christian parents who poured into him spiritually. And yet John Newton became very, very callous towards God. His heart became filled with anger and pain and uncertainty. And it led him to falling away from the faith and no longer attending church. John Newton then committed his life to sin. He became a commander of a slave ship and did uh, many horrible things. And yet God did not give up on him. He was commanding a ship one time, and during a raging storm at sea, God opened his blind eyes. John Newton gave his life to Jesus, and from there, God began to mature his faith, sent different uh, seasoned godly men to disciple him. And if you know John Newton at all, you know that he became one of the most powerful evangelists in Britain's history. John Newton also wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. And there's a line in that hymn that is taken directly from our passage in John chapter 9, where John Newton wrote that he was blind, but now he can see. You have the privilege as a pastor and an elder here on staff to be able to conduct different membership interviews. I've done many of your uh, membership interviews And I got to tell you, I love hearing stories. I love hearing people's conversion stories. I love hearing about John Newton, hearing many of you about how God opened your blind eyes to seeing the beauty of Jesus. I love that for two reasons. Number one, I love it because it, it reminds me of my own story. Like it reminds me of the time in which God sought me, God opened my blind eyes, God gave me the gift of faith to believe in him when I was a sinner and I was wandering from the fold of God. And the second reason why I love hearing testimony stories is it's just a great reminder about how powerful the gospel is. Like the gospel works, the gospel saves people, like God's grace invades people's lives and changes it forever. And that's really the point of John chapter 9 this morning. Like we're going to be reading and and listening to a blind man's testimony of how God not only restored his sight physically, but how he made him see spiritually. Now this passage in John chapter 9, this has everything to do with Jesus being the light of the world and what happens when that light invades a sinner's heart. In John 9, John, or Jesus heals a man who uh, was born physically blind, and he does this in order to illustrate what salvation is all about, that God then opens up our blind eyes spiritually in order to see Jesus and to believe in him and to be saved. 
In this passage, we see Jesus' sixth of seven uh, miraculous signs recorded by John. And of course, Jesus did more than just seven miraculous signs in his uh, earthly ministry. But John has selected these seven very intentionally in order to come up with, in his mind, the best evidence of why Jesus is the Son of God and why we should believe in him. And all throughout John's gospel, we have seen uh, these seven miraculous signs. And so this is the sixth one here. And at the same time, we've also started to see these seven I am statements. It almost feels like these seven miraculous signs are running in parallel with these seven uh, I am statements. And yet one of the things that's so amazing about John chapter 9 is you see one of these I am statements that Jesus is the light of the world almost collide with one of these miraculous signs, the healing of the blind man. And I think John is writing that in such a way in order to communicate this powerful truth is that the light of Christ has the power to change your life forever. Like, and if you've experienced that light, like I know we're not a very vocal or verbalized church, but you're probably saying amen in your heart. Like if, you, if you've experienced the power of the gospel in your life, like you know that to be true, that when the light of Christ invades your life, it's impossible to remain neutral. And so because the, the light of Christ is so central to this passage, I'm going to point out four aspects of Jesus' light that I see in John chapter 9. Here's the first one. First thing that we see is Jesus' light at work. Jesus' light at work in these first seven verses. Let's read it together here. Word of God reads this way. It says, as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which, meant, which, meant, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. In these couple of verses, we notice that Jesus begins to step away from teaching in the temple and in the temple, as we've seen the last couple of chapters, he's been talking about what it means for him to be the light of the world. He steps away from the temple, and now he shows the Jews exactly what happens when the light goes into the world. And it begins with this encounter with this blind man. A couple of things I want to point out in these first couple of verses that I think are significant. The first comes in verse 1, is that Jesus saw the man. Jesus saw the man. I think that's very significant because for this blind man, all he ever knew was pitch black darkness. Imagine that for a moment, being blind your entire life, never been able to see your mom or your dad or different friends within the community, never saw a starlit sky or the beauty of flowers or the green grass. It was dark, 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 always night for this individual, always being cut off from seeing what was around him. That this blind man had no means of supporting himself, that this man really had nothing to offer, that he was blind, he was weak, and he was a poor vessel. And yet, 
the, the whole thrust of this passage is that Jesus uses this blind man in order to reveal an even greater darkness, an even greater problem, something much worse than just being physically blind. But Jesus uses this blind man in order to reveal spiritual blindness in men's hearts. And it all starts with the fact that Jesus saw him, that Jesus noticed him, that Jesus was aware of his condition. Aren't you so glad this morning that Jesus sees you? Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus notices you, that Jesus is aware of your situation? Like maybe you just need to be reminded of that this morning, that you are not overlooked by God this morning, that God knows everything that's going on in your life, all of your burdens, all of the, the circumstances surrounding your life, and he is at work in your life in ways that you may not always be aware of. That John 9 is proof that God is at work for his glory and for your good. The second thing I want to point out in these first couple of verses is that the disciples questioned the man's condition. So Jesus saw the man and the disciples questioned. And this question that the disciples raise here is a theological question. It would have been great to be a fly on the wall during this conversation, but essentially they bring up to Jesus what is the cause of this man's condition? They say, was it because this man sinned or was it because his parents sinned? And this question was actually pretty common during this time among the Jews. See, the Jews had formulated a type of theology of personal sin and connected it with personal suffering. Uh, their theology of sin and suffering was very, very similar to, uh, to the friends of Job. If you're familiar with Job's story, you know that Job experienced an incredible, incredible amount of suffering and loss, and he's trying to figure out why this is happening and, and what caused all of this. And so Job's friends point out it's because of some sin that's going on in your life. There's some type of hidden sin or unconfessed sin. That's why you're going through this suffering. And yet I love Jesus' response. Jesus essentially says it's neither this man who sinned or his parents' sin uh, as why he's, he's blind, but he's blind so that the works of God might be displayed in and through him. I love this response because the disciples' question has everything to do with what is the cause of suffering, and yet Jesus' response has everything to do with what is the purpose of suffering. See, what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's instructing his disciples, and he's even instructing us this morning that when you go through pain and suffering and trials, we are primarily to be focused on not what is the cause of this or how or why is this happening, but we are to be primarily focused on what is the purpose that God has for this. Like, God, what do you want to accomplish in and through this trial? What glory do you want to receive? This actually leads us to our first application point from this passage is that your pain has a purpose. In other words, in God's economy, suffering is not wasted. That God is at work in ways that we are frequently unaware of, but he is. That God is using your pain. He's using your profound disappointments. He's using your suffering, your unanswered questions, so that at the end of the day, God might be glorified and you might grow in the likeness of Jesus. That's his purpose when we go through pain and suffering. The challenge for us is that sometimes we get kind of caught up in these secondary questions that are on the periphery. 
We get caught up in the cause of this and how did this happen. And sometimes that can take us away from being faithful in the trial and in the pain. Unbeknownst to this blind man, Jesus was on the move. Jesus being the light of the world was at work. Notice what happens next in verses 5 through 7. Jesus declares that he is the light of the world again and then goes and he heals this blind man in the most unusual way possible. I want you to just for a moment, put yourself in the shoes of this blind man. Like, he just kind of wakes up on this day. You know, the Feast of Booze is starting to wrap up, and there's, you know, thousands of Jews everywhere who are crowded around to celebrate uh, this great feast. He just gets up just like a normal day, probably is positioned in the same spot as he always is with his beggar cup, you know, asking for money. And yet, he can kind of hear this voice in the temple teaching about how he is the light of the world. And he, he hears this teaching going on, and then the teaching ends, and a couple minutes pass by, and he notices this individual kneeling beside him. And he thinks that's maybe quite odd that someone's kneeling beside him, but then he hears this man spitting into the ground. He can hear kind of the mud being caked together, and almost being formed as balls, and then all of a sudden he feels the moist mud being pressed into his eye sockets. Just imagine how bizarre that would be if you're the blind man, wondering, like, what is going on here? But then the silence is broken when he hears this individual next to him say, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. You have to wonder if he thought to himself, is this the same voice that was teaching in the temple? Is this the same Nazarene who's, who's created quite an amount of controversy claiming to be the light of the world? Perhaps the blind man's wondering, why does he want me to go to the Pool of Siloam? Like the Pool of Siloam was a sacred part of the Feast of Booze. That's where the water ceremony took place. And, and yet that was a half mile from where they were. This blind man maybe was freaking out in this moment, thinking that's the worst possible place a blind man could be. He's probably thinking, you want me to walk a half mile with mud covering my face? Remember, I'm blind, so I'm going to be bumping into all of these Jews that are crowded in the streets. And this blind man is confronted with the question, will he trust and obey? And suffice it to say, he does. He goes to the pool of Siloam, probably bumped into many, many people, gets to the water. He he emerges into the water there, and the mud starts to kind of come off his eyes. And for the first time in his life, light starts to pierce through his darkness, comes out of that pool And you have to wonder what his reaction was. We don't have it here, but you have to wonder if he opens his eyes and he's like, man, I I can see. Like light and motion and figures are right before him for the first time ever in his life. And you wonder if the excitement starts to build. He starts to get louder. I can see. I can see. I was blind and now I can see. And this blind man has to walk back a half mile back to where Jesus was near the temple. Now imagine, imagine that for a moment. Imagine him walking back, and you wonder if, if people started to recognize him. If people are like, wait, wait, is this, is this the same blind man that has been begging all of those years? Can he actually see now? What, what, what happened here? What, what took place in this man's life? And yet this man, because of Jesus' miracle, because the light was at work, this man became a walking billboard of grace. That this man is a reminder that pain has a purpose. 
that what we're going to see in this passage is that the man's physical condition is a mirror to our spiritual condition, that we are the spiritually blind beggars. And just like this blind man, God wants to open our blind eyes so that you and I can become a walking billboard of God's grace to those around us. It all started because Jesus saw the man, and Jesus being the light of the world was at work. Not only was he at work, but Jesus' light, number two here, is that Jesus' light was investigated. Jesus' light was investigated. Now, despite this being an unbelievable miracle, like this miracle should have led to all of these Jews believing in Jesus and following Jesus, and yet it does just the opposite. Like there's this interrogation, this questioning, this investigation that unfolds in verses uh, 8 through 34. In fact, there are four different rounds of questioning that take place. Let me just highlight a couple of these. The first, it begins in verses 8 through 12 with the blind man's neighbors. The neighbors approach this blind man and they immediately begin to challenge this blind man. They're wondering, wait, are you the same blind man that we've known for all of these years? They begin to just, you know, flood him with questions. And the blind man responds by just recounting the story of what Jesus did to him. And then the second round here, in fact, rounds two, three, and four all involve uh, the Pharisees in verses 13 through 34. The Pharisees confront the man in verses 13 through 17, and they are primarily concerned about how uh, this man received sight. And the blind man just tells them exactly what happened. And then round three involves the Pharisees interrogating now the blind man's parents in verses 18 through 23. Again, their, their big issue is how did Jesus do this? Like, they're not so much concerned that it happened. They, they can't refute that this blind man can now see. That, that's something they can't argue with. But they are caught up in how did Jesus heal this blind man? In fact, they ask that three different times in verse 15, 19, and 26. And through this investigation, according to verse 14, the Pharisees find out that Jesus did all of this on the Sabbath. And this is important because this is where they want to pin Jesus down that the Pharisees, instead of reacting in worship, instead of reacting and being enthralled with the power of Jesus, they want to pin Jesus down because Jesus broke the Sabbath law according to them. You couldn't make mud or, or clay according to the Jewish law on the Sabbath. That was considered work. And so this is the space that the Jews, that the religious leaders want to enter in and start to attack Jesus with. Look, this is, this is how blind the religious leaders are, that you have Jesus who heals this blind man, and instead of recognizing that this could be the Messiah, they go and they start to try to accuse Jesus. And then the last round of questioning, the fourth, involves the Pharisees and the blind man once again in verses 24 through 34. And, and here, the blind man gets a little bit chippy. The blind man responds with some humorous and sarcastic remarks even in verse 27, he asked them, why do you want to hear my answer again? Like, do you want to become his disciples as well? And then in verse 25, he just, he goes into a story again. He just shares his testimony and very boldly yet clearly says, look, all I know is I was blind, but now I can see. Like, in other words, like, I can't explain all of this, but, but this guy over here, he, he changed my life forever. That's the story that he shares. And it leads us to our second application point today, 
is that your story can become a platform to declaring God's grace. Look, in other words, do not underestimate the power of your story. That for this blind man who is blind all of his life, finally is healed, can finally see, but then his life gets increasingly more difficult. Like he's got these, these Pharisees, these religious leaders who are the most powerful men in his community. They interrogate him and then they cast him out of the synagogue. Now that was, that was the worst punishment you could receive. They had different tiers, different categories of punishment. That was basically equal to death. That no other Jew could interact with the blind man now. No other person could help him. And this is what he's in for as he interacts with Jesus. But notice his response. This blind man who was really a borderline outcast, nothing to offer. Notice his reaction here. Does he shrink back in fear? Does he go and and live in darkness? No, 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 no. What his response is, is he continues to share his story by making Jesus the hero. That this individual just boldly, clearly, but very simply talks about how he was blind, but now he can see. Look, he was not a theologian. He was not a teacher of the law. He was just changed by Jesus, and that's what he shares with the religious leaders. Just want to remind you this morning that if you're a follower of Jesus, according to Matthew 14, Jesus actually calls you the light of the world, lowercase l. And part of what that means as a follower of Jesus is that when we live in the midst of a dark world, we are called to, to shine brightly the light of Christ, not only in our deeds, but also in our words. And one of the most powerful platforms that we have in declaring God's grace and the light of Christ is through our story of conversion, that God has given each of us who are followers of Jesus this unique platform to declaring God's grace. And look, don't fall into the trap that, oh, my testimony is not significant according to worldly standards, so I feel a little bit embarrassed sharing it. Like that is, that is a lie from the enemy because every conversion story is a miracle. Every conversion involved a supernatural work of God to open your blind eyes in order to see the beauty and the power of Jesus and to believe. And that is a story worth sharing. Look, the people that you minister to, whether it's coworkers or neighbors or friends or kids or grandkids, they desperately need to hear your story. And look, they don't need to hear a story that's been photoshopped. They don't need to hear a story that's been filtered about how you're kind of the, the standard of morality. They just need to hear your story about how you were blind spiritually and now you can see. They need to hear a story where Jesus is the hero. Look, I, I don't know if we talk about our salvation stories enough, but if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to challenge you. You need to be ready at a moment's notice as you're interacting with people in the community, the people that you're ministering to. You need to be ready at a moment's notice to being able to share your testimony about how the gospel of God's grace has saved you. Look, if you're ministering to people, just a really simple question asking them that's very disarming is, hey, can I share with you something that has changed my life forever? That's a very disarming question. I, I have yet to have somebody say, no, 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 I don't want to hear about that. Like it, it, it creates a bridge in order to share about how Jesus 
has saved you. I just want to challenge you to look for those opportunities in sharing your story of God's grace. Well, this man leans into that. This man, this blind man has had quite a day so far. He woke up blind. He interacts with this Nazarene who has given him physical sight. He's then interrogated and cast out from the synagogue by the most powerful people in this community. But his day doesn't end with that. The last thing that I want to point out here in this passage, the third thing about Jesus' light, is that in verses 35 through 41, it's both received and it's also rejected. Man, I love, I love verse 35. When this man was cast out from the community, he was declared worthless. If you notice verse 35, Jesus goes and he finds him. And something extraordinary happens, something much more profound, something much more supernatural occurs, something greater than just physical sight is restored. Jesus actually enables this man to spiritually see. Look at it with me in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. I love these verses because, man, I find my own story in these verses. Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't you find your story here? Like, this blind man was cast out from his community. Jesus came and sought him out and enabled him to see who Jesus really is, causing him to believe in him and be saved. Isn't that your story? Weren't you cast out from hope, cast out from purpose, cast out from forgiveness, searching for, for some kind of meaning in this life? Isn't that when Jesus came and sought you? Isn't that when, when God opened your blind eyes for you to experience, verse 37, to see Jesus in all of his beauty, in all of his glory, leading you to salvation? Like this is exactly what, what Paul prayed for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, where, where Paul is praying for them. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which you've been called. And that reality takes place in every believer's heart when God opens your blind eyes. Look, this man's greatest need was not to physically see. This man's greatest need was for the eyes of his heart to be opened to seeing who Jesus actually is. Look, the prerequisite for that to take place in our lives is that we have to own our blindness we have to own our own darkness and our own neediness for God's grace. That those who receive spiritual sight are those who sense and are aware of their own darkness and their own blindness and their own need for God. But those who remain blind are those who feel like they don't need God's grace. That's exactly what happens in verses 39 through 41 where we see Jesus' light now rejected Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you, have, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. 
The point of this is that the blind man was physically blind, but because of these two miracles by Jesus, this man can now physically and spiritually see. And yet, on the other hand, while the Pharisees could see physically, they could not spiritually see. What Jesus is saying here is that there is no cure for rejecting the only cure there is. That to be blind is bad, but worse is to have eyes and yet, and yet not able to see. Charles Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says it better than I can. He says, it is not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It is not our weakness that hinders Christ. It is our strength. It is not our darkness that hinders Christ. It is our supposed light that holds back his hand. Look, the way to spiritually see is to own your own blindness and your neediness for God's grace and to bring that before God. That the gospel is good news for those who realize and that they know that they do not measure up. But the gospel is offensive to those who think that they do. That God's grace is not for those who think that they don't need it. God's grace is exactly for those who are in desperate need of his grace. Look, what is so surprising about this passage is, is how the Pharisees miss this. Like they miss Jesus in, in this whole scene here. And yet the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they had the whole, the whole Old Testament at, the, at, at their own fingertips. Like they had much of it memorized. They knew all of the, the prophecies about the Messiah, and yet they miss Jesus here. They knew the, the prophecy of the Messiah, like Isaiah chapter 35, where it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. They knew all of the Old Testament passages pointing and proclaiming to the coming of the Messiah, and yet they still missed him. This leads to our last application point this morning. And that is to beware of spiritual blindness. There's a, a sober warning here about spiritual blindness, and it's this. That it is very possible to be religious and yet to effectively seal yourself off from the light. That as was true with the Pharisees here in this passage, our pride and our selfishness can create a shade of darkness and blackness in our hearts that keeps us from seeing the light of Jesus. That because of unrepentant or lingering sin that's in our lives, it can dull us to the aggressive darkness that is there lingering in our hearts. That you can have eyes and yet not see. And it's such a dangerous place to be. There's so much self-deception there of, of being religious, and yet spiritually you can't see that I want to just kind of close our time this morning by pointing out three ways that you can detect if you are spiritually blind. Here's number one. You can detect if you're spiritually blind if there is a consistent callousness to God. I want to emphasize that word consistent because, you know, from time to time we go through seasons in which we feel kind of callous to God or, or we don't really sense him being at work. But someone who's spiritually blind experiences this on a regular and consistent basis. And just like the Pharisees who were around religious and spiritual elements yet remain spiritually blind, the same can be true of us. Look, just because you might go to church 
Just because you have Christian friends does not automatically mean that you can spiritually see. And one of the ways that you can tell if you can't spiritually see is if you are callous to the things of God. Now you hear the word of God being preached and you're unmoved. You might read God's word and you're unmoved. You might have someone lovingly point out the sin that's in your life and you get defensive or you explain things away. But the more that you are sitting under the preaching of God's word, the more there is a danger to your own soul. But the reason why it is so dangerous is this, that the more that you sit under the teaching of God's word, the more that it is proclaimed to you, and yet the more that you reject it, the more that that exposes within the listener's hearts a type of rejection that could lead to one that is unrecoverable. And when you hear the word of God being preached over and over and over again, and you remain unconverted, that you remain in a dangerous, dangerous place. That familiarity can breed contempt even towards God's word and can be a sign of spiritual blindness. Secondly here, another sign to detect if you're spiritually blind is that your life is marked by self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency, that your spiritual neediness is non-existent. That you rarely pray outside of, of dinner, uh, outside of dinner meals because your need of God has been tossed to the side. That there's no desperation for God and his grace. That you might feel superior to other people. That you're never in the wrong. You never apologize. You never say you're sorry. That you are overall marked by relying on your own strength, gifts, and morality. This could be a sign of spiritual blindness. And then the last thing here, the third is a tendency to protect lingering sin in your life. I call these kind of pet sins, that most of the time these are sins that are socially or culturally acceptable, but they're sins that you haven't repented of. They're sins that you haven't put to death. And look, these could be any kinds of sins. It could be sexual morality. It could be pornography. It could be gossip. It could be anxiety. It could be fear of man. It could be any kind of sin that you are so steeped in that it creates a darkness in your heart that blinds you from seeing Christ's light. That if our hearts are occupied with sin, that can crowd out the light of Christ that enables us to spiritually see, and it is a dangerous place. Well, as we close this morning, what do we do with this? What do we do with spiritual blindness? How do we, how do we battle spiritual blindness? Well, in answering that question, I want to just connect it to communion this morning. As we prepare our hearts to take communion, I just want to remind you today that communion is a sacred mechanism by which our hearts are filled with the beauty of Jesus. Like what we do here in this moment, this is not a rote tradition that's empty of power. But what we do in this moment as we celebrate and we bask in the beauty of Jesus is we're, we're trying to well up within our heart a deep sense of worship and awe of all that Jesus has done for us. That we bask in his beauty because Jesus did something on the cross that none of us could do. That Jesus got up on the cross, he died in the place of sinners. He removed the wrath of God so that we, like this blind man, can declare, I once was blind, but now I can see. And look, because that is true and because that is offered for all who want to believe in him, 
Look, we take time every month and we just kind of slow down and we take communion because we just want to linger over the beauty and the power of Jesus that he can open up blind eyes. And so this moment, we just think about all that Jesus has done. You think about your own testimony in this moment, all that Jesus has saved you from in order to fill you with the light of Christ. And as we battle spiritual darkness outside of communion, I just want to encourage you to to not only linger in that space of remembering Jesus, but to do that every single day, to create time where you're spending time with him in his word, and you're specifically rehearsing the gospel over your soul, that you're reminding yourself of all that Jesus has done to save you, all that he saved you from, his unending grace. And I promise you, the more that you linger in that space and remember what Jesus has done for you on the cross, the more the callousness of sin will go away. The more the self-sufficiency will drift to the side because remembering the gospel reminds you of your dependency upon God that you'll identify the lingering sin in your life. And because you're worshiping Jesus daily, you'll say, I want Jesus over that sin. That saying no to sin, you need a greater yes. And that's the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the answer to the spiritual darkness and the blindness that we battle every single day. It's pursuing Jesus with all that we can. And so this morning we get to take these elements together in kind of a unique setup today. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, just want to encourage you to come and to take these elements whenever you're ready. That we're going to sing a couple more songs this morning. And I just want to encourage you not to rush into this. That if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you this morning to come and to rehearse the power of the gospel. As you take the bread, just kind of at your seat, just close your eyes and just think about all that Jesus went through on the cross for you. As you take the cup and visualize the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, just remember that Jesus did that for you. And as we take these elements this morning, you know, sometimes it's good just to say this out loud, that by his wounds you have been healed. If you're a follower of Jesus, just just hear this this morning, that your sins have been forgiven. Your past, your presence, Your future sins have been dealt with. Look, what more could you want in this life? That you have everything in Christ Jesus. No matter what's going on in your life, you are fully secure in Jesus. Let's think about that as we take the elements. Let me pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, help us never to get over how great he is. God, help us to never get over what our lives would be like without him. God, I pray that you would continue to create just an overwhelming sense of worship in our hearts for him. God, we confess Jesus is our everything. He is our only hope because he did what none of us could do on the cross. God, we thank you that you have an endless amount of power. God, that you demonstrate that power by shining your light into our blind eyes so that we can see Jesus. So God, I pray as we take these elements together, that you'd help us to slow down and to meditate on Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.